Hello, and welcome to Human Is My Label. This is your host, Emily Purry. I am a wife, a mother, a daughter, a sibling, and a former athlete. I work full time. I am the founder of Rapid, a nonprofit organization, and I'm legally blind. I am so excited about opening the conversation about everything equity. We will primarily be talking about disability, as that is my lived experience, and it is often the minority left out of the equity conversation. I am passionate about equity for all identities, as I have family members from the communities of color, LGBTQIA, disabilities, and we span all ages. It is my goal to normalize these conversations, get people comfortable with the uncomfortable, and include everyone. After all, we are all human. So thank you for joining us here today, everybody. I have Paul Brown on the line, and I'm going to let him introduce himself, but I'm really excited about this conversation. We met uh, after a speech that I did, and Paul came up to me and asked about really including disability in his workplace. And so i like to welcome you, Paul. Hello. <laughs> Good to talk to you again, Emily. Absolutely, absolutely. So why don't you introduce yourself for the, for the group, for the crowd, and tell us whatever you want to, and don't tell us the others, and then we will go from there and <laughs> learn your journey um, from, your, from your perspective. Yeah, so um, the first part of my journey, let's say the first half or so, uh, is relatively predictable. I was, uh, I, I identify as a straight, white, cisgendered man and uh, able-bodied. And so, um, you know, my parents certainly did everything they thought was right to give me all the advantages that a, a parent in kind of lower middle class America was, was striving for. Uh, and everything that I did, I, I managed to succeed at. I really thought I was pretty amazing, frankly. <laughs> I, um, I, I graduated high school, you know, near-ish the top of my class and got to college and um, almost failed out of college, but uh, amazingly managed to get a degree in only four years, uh, which even then was a bit of a luxury and started working at Intel, uh, a big tech company. And Again, everything that I did, you know, got the great attention. I got lots of awards. I got promotions. Um, I had five promotions in my first 10 years, I think it was. Um, just really thought, you know, I must be hot shit, frankly. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> uh, and so I, um, I had an expatriate assignment uh, back in 2006, and I took it because I really thought it was my path to becoming a vice president. Uh, at, at, you know, a giant uh, multinational corporation, sorry. Mm -hmm. And um, I thought that was the most important thing to achieve, right? Meritocracy tells you that you've got to always be looking at the next rung on the ladder and, and you know, uh, earning, if you will, your way up to that next rung. Mm -hmm. So I took the assignment and moved overseas uh, with the intention of being there for two years. Um, 06 was kind of a tough year at the company and there were a whole bunch of layoffs in the middle of that year. I was not one of those layoffs, but uh, the person who sent me to Malaysia was one of those layoffs. And so it became, um, it became really difficult for me to, um, to be successful there because 
uh, it turns out that when you're in other countries, uh, it's not so important that you're a straight white guy. <laughs> Actually, straight and male can be helpful, but the whiteness was not very helpful in another country, unless I was just trying to indoctrinate them in, uh, you know, a version of American social hierarchy and American corporate uh, structures and so on. Yeah. And so I had a lot of conflicts over there. Um, and that really put me on the start of my path. Uh, and so I'll fast forward a bunch of years, uh, and about two and a half years ago, I started looking much more at, um, really just understanding kind of the way that, uh, capitalism works to have, uh, a kind of pyramid organizational structure so that the people at the top do really well, but the people at the bottom don't, and the people at the bottom, there's a lot more of them. And so Mm -hmm. as I started to dig into that and notice the, commonalities among race particularly but also i mean let's be real gender is still uh, an incredibly uh um disproportionately harmed uh aspect of our society with women you know not getting paid very much uh, not to mention all the physical and and sexual violence um Mm -hmm. and so just started to see a pattern there in you know everybody who's not a straight white man does not experience a career anywhere near to what I had experienced. And as I became more uh, sort of eyes open about that, uh, it, it, it's almost one of those things where once you see it, you can't not see it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then two years ago, I met a friend that we have in common named Marcus Carter, who's, uh, uh, as far as I'm concerned, one of the most interesting people in Portland. And <laughs> yes. uh, I, I, I started my apprenticeship there. So <laughs> I continue to <laughs> the school of Marcus, uh, Marcus Carter. for sure. Absolutely. Hats off to Marcus Carter. He's on uh, LinkedIn for sure. And um, he is always around town. So if you get an opportunity to see him speak or to attend an event he's putting on, I recommend it. Yeah, definitely. And so now, where are you at now? Yeah, so now I would say that I am um, I'm an activated uh, person, meaning that I understand that there is a lot to learn and that there's a lot of harm that has been done and, and really continues to be done uh, in the name of, uh, I'll just generically call it othering, yeah. uh, where we basically are indoctrinated to find the differences between us and other people and then um, really focus on what those differences are in in not very friendly or flattering ways as a way to kind of differentiate each other. And so, uh, you know, at a high level, I would say I'm on a quest against othering, but I think it's, you know, if you want to actually work at the same time, you've got to, <laughs> you got to get more specific than that. So um, I would say that I try to be um, uh, an active equity, diversity, and inclusion advocate uh, leading with race. I do try to emphasize the importance of race in every conversation that I'm in so that I don't lose sight of it. Yeah. Um, but as you brought up, when we met, uh, I think it was, it's hard to believe, but I, I actually think it was only about a year ago that you and I met and wow. I feel like we're good buds now. But, <laughs> but uh, so you know, adding accessibility and, and disability to that conversation, um, in all sincerity, Emily, I feel like, uh, you have done an excellent job of advocating for making sure that that is not forgotten. And uh, so that's been an important part of my journey as well is, is leading with race is appropriate because intersectionality is a real thing. And so Absolutely. you'll see race show up in all kinds of ways, but 
uh, that does not mean that we should not also be thinking really hard about disability, which I think is what scares a lot of people when they expand the lens. You know, if, you, if you're just focusing on race, then I can go out and hire an African-American person and I can say, hey, I did it, right? And yeah, yeah. when you expand it to actually talk about disability, uh, especially when you expand that to things like neurodiversity and, um, you know, a, a myriad of physical limitations that people work with and deal with every day, um, there just really has not been a lot of effort to get that voice heard or, or um, uh, well, I'll just say get that voice heard in, in workplace and, and in various other spaces. And so people, you know, I, I've frequently run into people who are like, well, we can't possibly consider every type of neurodiversity you know like <laughs> well uh, that's one way to look at it that certainly uh seems like a quitter's approach but okay <laughs> yeah what well and we it is overwhelming with? all this i mean to to the dominant culture you know white cisgender male it is overwhelming to think about including okay i gotta hire women okay i gotta hire people of color okay i've gotta hire okay okay i got all these people i need to hire and I right. haven't done it yet. And so how do I do it? And that can be overwhelming. And you learn, you push yourself to understand, and then you move forward. Um, once you tap into those, those communities, it isn't overwhelming anymore. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's correct. And, and, you know, even just example of, of the times you and I have been able to spend together. Um, I, I recently, we went to lunch and, uh, you know, thinking about what is what is an appropriate way to be a friend. It's not it's not about an ally. I don't <clears throat> I'm not chasing allyship as a goal, but I am chasing, you know, authentic connections with people and, and relationships and um, like friendships. That's my goal. Right. And so as I'm with you, I'm like, OK, <clears throat> I'm not trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to do the friend thing. What is the right way for me to, you know, um, give you a hint that there might be a change in the elevation of the roads you're walking on or if there's construction that's not well marked or that kind of thing um, and it really is uh, uh, it's a whole different way to look at the world I think once you actually make everybody a person who ultimately you want to be friends with then you really have to think a lot about what's their lived experience and how is that going to challenge what I consider to be normal or appropriate or good uh, because I think that's where a lot of interesting conversation needs to happen Absolutely. And that's, I think, I mean, what I've always focused on in my conversations with people is the human aspect of things and not the workplace aspect, not the whatever it is. Oh, I, I know this one person, you know, we, it's, huh. Okay. So how do I start having those conversations? And I'm sure I know the first time you asked me, you're like, okay, <laughs> we hung out a few times now. I want to know how to not be a jackass. <laughs> right. Right. And I like to get quite, to the point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And quite frankly, I mean, that's great. That's perfect. And that's how it needs to, that vulnerability is what it takes. And I'm sure you weren't comfortable with saying that, even though you know me and you know right. I'm pretty relaxed and chill, but it's not like it was easy, but you took that moment to find out like what is my biggest challenges and what what can make it easier without offending. And it was very simple and easy. And that's what a lot of people want and need and will be pretty pretty frank with you if you're willing to try. And so I think that's the, the key to all of it. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's not just about grace, but it's also in um, 
this is another thing that I think Marcus has really uh, exemplified in a lot of good ways. It, it, it will change. It will evolve. There is no permanent right answer to any of these questions. And all of that is part of white supremacy, expecting like, you know, what you tell me on Tuesday might change on Wednesday. And actually, COVID is really changing, <laughs> challenging yeah, no a lot kidding. of people to think like that, right? But, um, you know, just because uh, the right the right description, like a good example is language choices. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if today uh, you, you've actually talked about language a lot on this show already, but mm-hmm. um, if saying a disabled person or a person with disabilities uh, is the language today, tomorrow that might be the worst thing you can say to a person. And so we we'll have to be quick to change it. And you're not, you don't feel like you've done anything wrong for doing that. Like that's the, the shame that comes from making a mistake in our culture is yes silly and if you are like okay i got this i got this now i got this and then you're like oh my gosh i screwed up again no you'll be like all right you know and and the curiosity behind those things like if i want to be referred to as legally blind today and blind tomorrow i mean you don't have to necessarily think oh my god did she lose more of her sight or did she this or did i wonder why she changed that like you can just be like all right cool thank you for letting me know yeah that's that's who emily is today totally yeah yeah that's exactly right can we circle back one second uh i I really think the neurodiversity thing is one of my favorite topics to really um think hard about because i think that um so part of my equity work really conflicts with um, what I think we have taken for granted as the defaults in our kind of corporate uh, capitalist world. You know, there are certain things that are allowed and certain things that are appropriate. When you start doing this work, you got to really think harder about what HR's role is. I think the, um, the you know, you can't accommodate every uh, different type of neurodiversity or you can't accommodate every type of physical limitation starts the conversation in the wrong place. That starts the conversation from a, we got to list them all. We got to count them all. We got to make sure that we're um, tracking who needs what. And, and, you know, if we have somebody with cerebral palsy, then we got to go find somebody with MS and then we got to go find somebody with um, Parkinson's. You know, it's, it's very much in this um, counting and, and uh, itemizing type of, of mentality. Mm-hmm. And I think to some extent, we've had to have that in order to measure success in a corporate place where everything's got to go up and to the right all the time. But yeah, uh, but part of it is a fear of, you know, uh, maybe each person in that organization has already done something to adjust their behavior so that they conform to what they believe is the norm. And as a result, they don't want to entertain a conversation that says each new person coming in might need something totally different changed for them as opposed to changing uh, for you or as opposed to you changing for the company. You know, it's, uh, yeah, yeah. It, it goes back to, uh, gosh, uh, uh, the John F. Kennedy quote, uh, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Like that is baked into a meritocracy. It's baked into individualism. Uh, you know, what can you be doing? But I think in general, we actually do need to turn that around and maybe the um, coronavirus situation is a way that we might be able to start changing that whole conversation. It's, it does need to be asked what the company can do for you. In fact, it should even be tell the company what they can do for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and this is where I do think that the, um, uh, like, 
in the business that I'm in, we do a lot of interviews. We do a lot of, um, you know, matching people with jobs and that sort of thing. And so there's a lot of awareness that we shouldn't ask questions around accommodations, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want people to think that you're biasing your hiring decision based on a request for an accommodation. Yeah. And I definitely do not want to bias a hiring decision based on a request for accommodation. However, right there, we're making it so that accommodations are bad and so that we have to treat them like they're secrets. Yeah. And people have to spring them on us after we've made the offer and after their start date. And then suddenly we find out a person needs a whole bunch of accommodations and we've done nothing to prepare. We didn't know what they were uh, asking for. And and now we have a situation where somebody has a job and there's all kinds of you know legal protections that now you've got to take into account. Oh, I can't possibly fire this person just because they you know, need a low light environment in order for them to be able to get their work done. And, yeah. uh, and I really feel like all of that is baked into this idea. Like we couldn't possibly consider all types of uh, disabilities or all types of neurodiversity. It's, it's, in, it's wrapped up in that same conversation. So I, I really hope that um, we start looking at different ways to even have those conversations. So it's much more about how do I include everyone full stop, you know? Well, yeah, and that looks at, you know, the whole concept of universal design. A lot of people think universal design just refers to the accessibility of a space um, Mm. as far as a physical space. But if we look at universal design as an individual situation, there should be things that are, and it would be interesting after COVID, but um, I'll come back to that, um, asked during interviews to every single human um Mm -hmm. you know what is your ideal work situation and that's not to take them out of the running but it's because you're able to provide so many options okay right low light environment or a more quiet environment okay awesome you're going to be in building a because that's where building we have that option and in building c we have very bright lights with all natural lighted lights and so we're able to place that human in a place they're going to be successful versus oh they need a low lighted area that's not going to be good because every single light in our office is fluorescent and they're not going to fit here and it goes back to the concept of a fit a good fit which we all hate that 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 phrase is a fit well fit isn't going to bring us diversity at all um what can we automatically provide and so then you know it's not (laughs) segregated either you know you're gonna have all different types of people in all different environments but we need to look at our hiring process we need to look at our um, interview process and you know break down some of those norms one of the ones i often talk about is is um interviews and the expectations of interviews and this is this spans you know, culture as well as disability, right. as well as all those other things is eye contact. Mm-hmm. Eye contact is one of those things that, you know, white supremacist culture expects you to look people in the eye when you talk to them. You're supposed to maintain eye contact or you're disrespectful. And in cultures, the different cultures, that's offensive. And for me, who has my central vision is destroyed. I often look to the left of people I'm trying to make eye contact, but I can see you. I feel like I am making eye contact, but I'm not. And so people think I'm distracted about something behind them or I'm disrespectful Mm -hmm. or, and then if we look at, you know, autism or autism spectrum, eye contact is very difficult for people 
often on the spectrum and it completely distracts them from their train of thought. And so right. if we're expecting people to do that and perform in an interview, which is already nerve wracking for everybody. We have to let some of those expectations and norms go to allow people of different backgrounds period in the door. And that's something that's really, really not even considered um, when you're getting people in the door. Well, and this is part of, you know, um, uh, one of the things that I am excited about as we continue to um, kind of move in the same spaces is working together on things and, and kind of educating people as a group. Uh, you know, the fact that I have white male privilege gets me into rooms that maybe other people can't necessarily get into, or I can have conversations that maybe other people can't. But really what I want to be doing is setting a path for people to come behind me who wouldn't have been able to get in those rooms in the first place. Absolutely. Um, and so things like changing interview processes at a larger scale, not just my interview place or where you work or that sort of thing, but how do we actually change the way interviews work? For example, why are we surprising people with questions in an interview process? Why aren't we just giving people all the questions in advance? Don't we want people to succeed? Don't we want to see their best? You know, how do we, how do we introduce them to the people they're going to be interviewing with so that they've already, you know, moved, removed some of the discomfort of being in a room with a stranger or more than one stranger? How do we stop panel interviews altogether? Because yeah, those are terrible absolutely. experiences for everybody. Um, and so I, you know, I've been talking um, in my office, we're, we've, we're trying to figure out like, uh, we actually call it employee success uh, working group. So it's not, it, we're not even naming it EDI. We're just saying like, everybody could benefit from these changes. Yeah. A, a straight white person would still appreciate a less stressful work environment. You know what I mean? Or yeah. uh, interview environment, excuse me. So uh, yeah, I'd love to see, I'd love to see much more education around how do we, how do we demystify the interviewing process so it's much more open. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's a big thing for me. So if people, the other thing people do, you know, is provide the questions ahead of time, but you, if you only get 15 minutes to review them before the interview and mm. that is great, but a most likely, unless I disclose my vision disability, I have to bring all my equipment <laughs> to read those questions. <laughs> <laughs> that's and an excellent so, point that's an excellent point yeah and so it it was great that the county when i was um on the panels there and then also interviewing there i think they would send everybody the questions ahead of time electronically and it was usually a day before or the morning of or whatever it was but they would send the questions electronically to everybody so that I didn't, as a person with a disability, have to disclose because now for me, particularly with vision, um, I didn't have to disclose anything prior to getting to the interview because they already did that and it was equitable compared to it, prior when I first got hired at the county, I um, had to ask for extra time at the beginning. So I had to disclose that I had a disability to ask for extra time and ask for large print. Um, mm. The, looking at just simple changes like that is absolutely a huge place to start in HR because that also sets the tone. It, HR can set right. the tone for how somebody's experience goes. Um, I'll tell you one other story. I was applying for a job and there was a test that was required. And mm. 
and it was, so it was an in-person test. And so I called the recruiter and I said, hi, you know, I have been selected for the first phase of the interviews. I just was wondering how was the test administered um, before when I get there? And they're like, well, on the computer. And somehow it came up. I said, okay, perfect. Thank you. You know, I just needed to know, or maybe they asked why, I don't remember. And um, I said, oh, well, if it's on computer, I can either, um, I, I will need somebody to come to me so I can take the test or I can bring a laptop or if you have any software that I can use because I have a vision disability. Um, but if it's on paper, I can bring my CCTV, which is a closed circuit television and I can put the test underneath. So I just need to know how to prepare. And the recruiter said, well, you know, you need to be able to read to take this job, right? <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> um, I, uh, uh, yes, that has nothing to do with this. But, and that was HRs. And so I just didn't take the interview. I didn't take the test. I needed a job, but I didn't do it. I was like, no, if right. that's how HR acts, it's going to be a Yeah, total it's going to get worse job. after that. Yeah, That's it's exactly going to be a right. total shit show after this. So I just said, I'll yeah. cancel my slot and give it to somebody else. And so if we don't figure out that the HR piece before, it, you're going to turn away a lot of people and offend a lot of people. <laughs> Even if your manager or supervisor is on board with DEI work and is easy to accommodate and has no problem accommodating, I'm not even going to come in that door if it's, if it's not determined right. safe at HR levels. So... Well, this goes, you know, uh, I was recently talking to an African-American who, um, <laughs> who, in my opinion, was probably terminated for um, race-based uh, motivation, but we'll save that for another call. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but he, he was talking about what he's going to do next, and we were having a good conversation about this and throwing around ideas. I really like to try to help people. Um, on their job search, maybe think of things they hadn't thought about before or whatever. Yeah. And he said something to me, which is very parallel to the experience you just said, which is either he's going to go into a workplace where he has to spend most of his time educating the workplace about things like race and racism and how it shows up for him and white supremacy and all that kind of stuff by default without even necessarily being part of his job description, because he's an African-American man, he's going to have that experience. Mm -hmm. um, or he's going to have to take a job where that actually is the job, where you're educating people about that yeah. stuff all the time. There's almost no job he could take where he wouldn't be in a space where he has to educate white people. And I, I feel like the accessibility parallel there is obvious. You know, the, there really is no space you're going to ever occupy again in your life where part of your role isn't going to be educating people, even if that's not what the job calls for. And every organization is going to take you up on it because they don't know. Oh yeah. Especially when it comes to right. accessibility, the, the conversation about disability is so still in the closet, if you will, that people don't even know how to touch it, let alone touch it and be educated about it at the same time. And so you're doing either two full-time jobs or you're doing one full-time job in that in that education space that's absolutely true yeah and i i you know i think that the um putting yourself into the workplace 
uh, already requires a, a, a huge extra burden just so you can sort of try to show up like everybody else. Uh, because ultimately then you also, you know, do you ever get to live a day where you don't have to be focused on whatever your, um, accessibility challenge is? you know, what does that day look like? And the only one you could live that day is if you have tried really hard to be like people who are not you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, okay. I want to switch gears a little bit. So we are in yeah. the midst of COVID-19. What mm. are you, and we were on a DEI call. Um, a couple days ago, but what are you most, um, what are you going to most focus on in the workplace environment as we adjust to this COVID-19 case and right. our situation right. and or um, what does it look like when we find that normal again, whatever that normal is, whether it's this or something else, but um, and people start to regain employment. What are you most passionate about focusing on and keeping at the forefront? Yeah, so as a business leader, what I would say, uh, one of my strong beliefs is that communication is a huge percent of your responsibility. Mm -hmm. um, I heard somebody one time say, uh, referring to a, a, a CEO at a big corporation one time, the person said, you have to repeat everything that you say at least 10 different times because you're almost always speaking to a different audience and you really need to make sure that all of the people that you need to hear the message hear it and they aren't going to hear it the first time mm. and that really stuck with me for a long time so um, as soon as we knew we were going to be working from home uh, even for the first week we established a regular meeting schedule making sure we're touching base with everybody um, it was a great opportunity to adjust the way our meetings run so that there's a check-in now at the beginning of every meeting. You know, uh, I think, again, sort of the white supremacist uh, corporatocracy tends to be in the space of, uh, you know, you've got to get down to business and you've got to have a clear agenda and all that kind of stuff. But sometimes yeah. the important part is just checking in. You know, maybe what somebody's carrying into that meeting is super personal and intense and they got to deal with it before you're ever going to be able to get to productivity discussions, you know. Yeah. Um, so I think, uh, for me in a, in a, uh, let's call it the first wave of COVID response, uh, everybody quarantined and working far apart. The main thing for me is, is frequent communication, um, not just sort of, uh, virtual meetings, but also, um, we, we did a lunch last week where everyone called in and just kept their, uh, cameras on and just chatted. And we did, um, uh, we actually did a happy hour last night. And yeah, you know, just things that are like keeping us connected, keeping us all making sure that everybody knows what's happening at the, for the corporation as these new stimulus packages come out, you know, there's more questions than answers, but um, the average person has no idea what they're supposed to do with that information. So trying to dis dis dispel some of the confusion around what those, um, what those new laws mean and how they affect us in the workplace and that kind of stuff. So that's, I think a big part of it. Yeah. Um, phase two, uh, when we do move around to a point where people start hiring again and, um, you know, <laughs> the unemployment numbers really break my heart, frankly, I, I, oh. uh, I follow them closer than I follow the actual, uh, illness because I just like the number of people, especially, you know, people who are in the lower income levels, uh, that are getting just hammered by the waves of layoffs and so on, it really stands out to me. Mm -hmm. And 
because I originally came to this work from a kind of capitalism lens first, um, what I know and, and don't need to be told and don't need to do any research on is most of those people are going to be people of color or um, women who uh, may be single mothers or, or single fathers or, you know, all the people who basically have had to trade off um, some sort of uh, our traditional version of success and progress to take care of family members or to maybe they didn't have, uh, you know, the same opportunities or, uh, or their skin is darker than mine or any of these sorts of situations. Those are the people who are losing their job. Let's not lose sight of um, all the corporate fat cats at the top of the pyramid. They can definitely work from home. They've been working from home. They always work from home or yeah. from outside the office, you know, including me, by the way, you know, I, I, I am not usually in the office uh, probably more than, I don't know, 20, 25 hours because a lot of my stuff takes me out of the office. So I'm already used to not being around other coworkers um, because that's the privilege my job carries, right? And so it's the same thing with uh, with what's happening here. The people who have to work at Whole Foods, those are not the people who last week were presidents and vice presidents. Those are the people who last week were entry-level positions somewhere else, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. So I'm really, uh, I'm, I'm, attentive to it and we're not there yet so how what to do about this and how to make this into something that can become a rallying cry is really an interesting set of conversations but i think that uh i think that equity diversity and inclusion work will be um if it's not already will definitely be one of the first things that a lot of companies stop paying attention to mm -hmm. uh during the layoff process uh, and during their rehiring process. And that's where things are going to be particularly um, concerning if we're not paying attention is uh, how much are people actually rehiring just straight white people again, you know, yeah. able-bodied, cisgendered, et cetera. Like uh, that, that, I think there is a very high likelihood that a lot of companies are going to end up restaffing with even whiter straighter, <laughs> mailer, uh, uh, you know, staff, because there's not going to be anybody watching. There's nobody that's going to be sitting there being like, ah, you know, we should change up our hiring process and make sure we're getting in different points. Like, that's not going to be the thing. People are going to be trying to hire and get back up and running as quick as they can. Yeah. And so that's, I would say that's the main thing that I worry about uh, and really spending some time trying to figure out what are interesting ways that we can make sure that that's not where everybody goes right away when this whole thing turns back on. Yeah, and by the way, okay. the, 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 the nihilist in me uh, isn't even sure it's going to turn all back on, but, you know, that's another call <laughs> for the future, for future episodes. We have a lot of calls coming, Paul. <laughs> yes, I know, I know. I'm trying to sow the seed so that I get a call back. <laughs> I love it. Um, well, and that's the thing is, immediately, so we had, I had scheduled, um, speeches and trainings uh, around the disability awareness space. And that was the first thing they said, I don't know what's going to happen with our money. So I know that that extra pot of money, if you will, yeah, it's the first thing being cut. And we're already seeing that um, on the DEI space. And so I'm hoping when whatever this norm is, like I said, whether we're still working from home or we're still, you know, whatever it is, you know, where is the priority from leadership? And I hope any leaders listening, you know, really do think about that, that this is a great opportunity. I mean, you just cleaned house most likely. <laughs> or that's, you're going that's to. Right. You, you, have, 
Right. You're going to have lots of positions. You could actually correct your racial diversity, your gender diversity, whatever without you're Without hurting limited. feelings. Without... That's right. Uh, but you better hold on to the right hiring practice changes. You better hold on to the right criteria. You better be thinking about how do I hire somebody who has a different lived experience than the other people already here at the company in every one of your hiring decisions, you know? Yeah. The one thing I heard one time was the only thing you need to create in your practice is hire something, somebody that is different than you, whether it's how you look, act, believe, um, function in the world, hire somebody yeah. that is different than you. And until that becomes where you can't hire anybody different, then you know you've, you're, you're there. Like if there's so many differences in the room that right. you can finally hire like yourself or like somebody on your team, then you know you're, you've made progress. And that goes for even a, a, a organization that's primarily people of color. Like if we want right. true diversity, totally right. You can't only hire people of color. You have to hire able, differently able. Um, you know, everybody. It's no matter what you look like, no matter how you believe, no matter you're able-bodied or disabled, whatever it is, hire somebody different than you, and we—that's how we achieve diversity. Yeah, I, I, I think you're exactly right. And again, I would bring up intersectionality just to say, mm -hmm. um, you know, hiring a person of color does not mean you don't hire a person with disability. It doesn't mean you don't hire a veteran. There are veterans with disabilities that are also people of color. Like, you can find uh, all sorts of interesting people in the world. You just have to be explicitly looking for interesting people instead of looking for the same homogenous, this is exactly what everybody in my company looks like, and so that's the only people I'm hiring. Yes, definitely. Okay, so to wrap up, I want to um, yes. address some of your fabulous questions that you had for me <laughs> that I think are hilarious. <laughs> so Paul and I have known each other, like he said, about a year, and he, he's just started to get to the point where he has these questions and wants to talk about certain things. So I thought it was hilarious. I sent him a, a form earlier, and he put some great questions online. So those will count as our six-year-old questions for today. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. That's perfect. So I'll... Uh... I'll start with, um, in what ways have you seen your blindness uh, impact you during COVID? I, I was thinking about like video conferences, but there's probably a lot more examples that I don't necessarily have. Yeah, so for me, it's interesting. So I was talking to a completely blind person yesterday and they said, well, if you use the tools that were available, your eyes wouldn't be as tired. And so I have a really interesting, I, I like to say, uh, I'm, I'm kind of stuck in the middle and the best way a lot of people, um, not a lot of people, the people that are mixed race feel as far as they're mm. not white and they're not black, they're in the middle. That's how right. I feel with my blindness. I still have sight. So for those who don't know me, I still have sight. I think my sight's like 2,400. Um, and for those of you who don't know, 2200 is considered legally blind. And I think I'm at 2400 and 2300. So 2400 in one eye and 2300 in the other eye. Um, and so it's bad. It's very, very bad. Um, yeah, yeah. But Those aren't good I still, numbers. Yeah, I still have sight. And so a completely blind person would use a screen reader, um, which is how you, you function with a computer um, if you're totally blind. 100% they would rely on their screen reader. Well, since I have sight, I can still see stuff if I'm close enough, if it's zoomed, 
and I also invert it. So everything, now they've made it trendy and they call it dark mode, um, but it doesn't work on everything, just FYI. Um, <laughs> so I invert the yeah, screen. Dark mode pictures that are definitely not viewable. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So that's how I see most of the pictures unless I invert back to um, the regular mode. Mm. Um, and so with that and with everything else, I don't use a screen reader to the full capacity. And quite frankly, it still drives me crazy until I absolutely have to. Um, now that does require my eyes to do a lot more than they probably should. So moving to this completely um, computer environment, including meetings, including everything else, gives my eyes virtually no break, which has mm. definitely, um, by the end of the day, my eyes are so incredibly tired. And then if you think about what do you do when you get off work, you get on the phone or you watch TV or you get on your iPad or you get on another damn device. <laughs> right. And so it's like, it's been challenging for me. Um, and there's days when I'm doing really intricate work, like if I'm doing spreadsheets or um, those kind of things that my eyes are just done. Um, I've had a lot more headaches than normal. And I think it's mm. because of the strain of, and sitting and our, our nonprofit is um, definitely working hard to, as all nonprofits and for profits for that matter, are doing to survive this, um, pandemic and so we're working that much harder the stress levels are higher etc etc so i'm pretty tired um just with my eyes but then my brain's not tired and my body's not tired so it it's been interesting um the video chats i have been it, so one-on-one -on -one, i can see a person like if you and i were on video right now i can see you i can see you sitting at the desk and i can get because this the, the picture in itself is close enough but when right. we've done these gallery views of people, um, people are oh. like laughing at each other. And, you know, there was a cat walking across the screen the other day and I didn't see that. So there's a lot of stuff I'm missing um, mm. when it's a lot of people. The other piece of it is, um, which I hate the most. So we were on our big meeting the other day, Paul. And because everybody's on mute, I'm not getting any of the yeah. auditorial cues that people are laughing or people are responding uh, or because I can't see them and I can't hear them. Right. So it was really awkward to me to talk to a screen where I can't hear the uh-huhs or the laughing or the, because that's how I get my cues that people are paying attention. Um, where I know people yeah. can see like me smiling and nodding and whatever on the screen. Well, I can't see that. So I'm not getting that feedback. So it's really been interesting to see how much um, I'm missing and how like that meeting is usually my favorite uh, meeting that I look right. forward to every month. Um, but I didn't get that, you know, those responses from people that I usually get that are funny and the little snickers and the little, you know, the little side conversations um, didn't come through for me that, that on the Zoom. So that it, it wasn't as, exciting as usual but i know it's because of the uh the zoom because i couldn't see people's reactions and stuff so um i would say those are the biggest things of the video chat and then the tight amount of um just the tiredness my eyes are just done they're just spent so i really have to be mindful about not getting directly back on a screen which again is hard because we're at home doing nothing and <laughs> 
most yeah. people resort yeah. to a right. show or a something. So I try to get outside afterwards and really take a break. So yeah, it's an interesting uh, argument in favor of keeping all the mics live because in a real uh, office environment they would be anyway. And mm -hmm. so you've just got to figure out how to. Um, how to handle the fact that you're going to have lots of people talking at once, but why don't we start working on that instead of, I, I also struggled with that meeting just because I feel like the best part about it is the free form discussion. And, yeah. uh, you know, admittedly facilitation is not my strength, but uh, I didn't know another way to do it without just asking each person kind of just talk individually because we're in that sort of space at these video conferences where everybody is, um, you know, waiting for their turn to talk kind of thing. But I do think we need to get to more of a free form discussion uh, yeah, ability, even in a large group like that. Yeah. yeah, I wonder how we can do it. Well, and then there's kids and there's everybody else. You have to mute, there's dogs barking. So it's hard to. <laughs> yeah. Okay, what was another question you had? Uh, what do you do for like reading to your daughter? So as a, as a young one, I didn't read to her. Jameson did. And it was always something that was really hard for me, honestly. I just felt horrible about it as a mom. Yeah. Um, but it was more work than it was enjoyable for both of us. Um, mm -hmm. And now that she's learning to read, and I would say, you know, honestly, she's behind on her reading. And I don't know if that's because of that. Um, oh, I, interesting. Obviously, I am going to, as a mother, take blame for that. But I couldn't do it as much as I wanted to. And, you know, but right. now it i think it's interesting because now she so what we do is we sit down with the book she knows her letters obviously she's in first grade um she knows her sounds so she can sound every letter really really well she just has a hard time putting the words together and so I'll tell her to sound it out and so I'm listening so I can sometimes get it just by my brain putting the sentence together um, and then sometimes she will be pretty far off. So I say, what letters are, are there? And so then she'll spell it for me and then I'll mm. help her sound it out. So I'm still doing it now with no vision, but because it takes us a lot longer to get to the end, a half an hour can be a lot less reading than a half an hour from a sighted person, but she's kind of getting the right. multi benefit of it because she's spelling the word and then we sound it out together and then she's able to read the words. So now that she's older, I think she'll actually move along a lot faster than, you know, us reading to her as a little, little tyke. Um, so, so yeah, that was something that was really hard for me that I couldn't read to her. Yeah. I'm thinking of like some of the apps in general or, or even like, books that have a way to, you know, you hold a phone or a device over the book and it'll kind of show you the words and all that. But it's not, first, it's not the parent <clears throat> engagement. That's an important part. And then secondly, um, it's, uh, you'd have to figure out how to actually navigate what the teaching aspects of that are versus just, uh, uh, versus just playing with an app, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's it, interesting. A lot of them read along, they'll like read along, but she's looking at the pictures. She's not looking at the words. So mm. it's, um, it's not, it's not the same. And it's not the experience. Like the experience is what I was, what I missed the most was, you know, reading to her right. as she fell asleep and stuff like that. 
and just that experience of having something that's calm between us to do at night before bed versus the TV or the, another iPad or staring at another device, which yeah. we know is not yeah. good right before we go to sleep. So that was... How's your creativity? Do you like make up fairy tales or anything? <laughs> <laughs> no, that would totally be Jameson. He would do that. He'd be like, I'll just tell you a story. And he would love, yeah, right. love to do that with her. I'm like, um, I don't know. I can't do this. I'm just so not creative like that on the spot. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, I noticed when you, like, you are a pretty active texter. I get a decent amount of text messages from you. What's the, how do you, how do you read them on your phone? And how do you respond with such content? So I talk to text everything. Um, okay. So I push the little speaker button down at the bottom of your phone and, and just talk everything. So you'll get lots of crazy messages from me at times that say weird things. <laughs> it's actually a fun exercise on my side. I'm like, what does that word mean? What is that? <laughs> my best friend back Wait. in the day, she used to think of what letters were around the letter that it yeah. started yeah. with. Because then when I, back in the day, I would just guess. Right. And yeah. there was no yeah, talk to text. One. So I'm like, is Emily joining the army? What, what is going on? <laughs> <laughs> well, and especially talk about white anti-racist. Like when you say 80, yeah. I think I said Cyrilda the other day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, there's no way that the series going to pick that up. <laughs> right, right. Exactly right. <laughs> and so I was like, um, but hopefully he'll get it. I don't know. Because that's the other piece of, you know, you talked about spelling. So I've never seen, I mean, I've not never. I, when I was learning to spell often, if you remember good old like overhead projectors, um, yes. you know, daily oral language was on the board. And I never could see the board. Right. So some of that stuff I picked up because of you know drilling in where to put a comma and stuff like that or any tricks that i was taught but i didn't i don't see it when i read i don't see grammar i don't, I don't see punctuation i don't see i mean there's some of those laws and rules obviously but it i don't see it when i'm reading a lot of people say oh well you get better at it if you read well not if you read through audio but <laughs> right right yeah spelling is not going to get any better <laughs> yeah and so it's really interesting that even if I know I'm misspelling a word, the the way things sound and the way things are spelled don't always match up in my brain. So, okay, well, very good. All righty, well, I got to get on to another call, but thank you so much for joining me on this, and we will definitely have to set up another one. Yes, fantastic. Thank you so much, Emily. Great to talk to you. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining me here today at Human Is My Label. Don't forget to subscribe, share this with your friends, families, and coworkers. Get out there, get comfortable with the uncomfortable, include everyone, and push yourself to be better every day. If you're interested in coaching or corporate training or learning more about RAPID, visit us at rapidorgan.org. That's R-A-P-I-D-O-R-E-G-O-N.org. You can find me at emily.purry on Instagram and all my other social handles are below. Have a great day and I can't wait to see you next week.